good to see you here this day, this balmy Sunday in March. Amen? Bet you all got up this morning and said, yay, it's minus 20 out. What a great day. Anyway, um, God's good. Summer's on the way. It, seasons do come and go. Amen? He's faithful to his word. Uh, I want to begin this morning with an illustration. Um, I've shared this before, and I've seen it shared several times, but I have a little bit of a different take on it ultimately, so just bear with me. Oftentimes, when you uh, are trying to talk to somebody about um, coming uh, to God and the impossibility of doing that by our own righteousness and self-effort, uh, an analogy like this is used. Imagine you're at the Grand Canyon, one of the greatest places ever. It's just a spectacular view, right? So you're standing on one side of the Grand Canyon. God is standing on the other side of the Grand Canyon. There's this impassable space between you. And in our case, when it comes to us and God, that space, of course, is our sinfulness and our, our, um, our deserving of punishment um, and, and God's perfection. There's this gulf that's not passable between us. So say I'm on one side of the Grand Canyon, God's on the other side of the Grand Canyon, and I'm going to try to get to him by my self-effort. So some of us, depending on how physical fit we are, we go farther than others if we attempt to make that jump. Some might just go basically off the edge and plummet to their death in the, in, the, in the valley below. Others of us who are very athletic, and some of you are very athletic, you're going to get this big, big run, and you're going to jump, and you're going to go like 20 feet and do a spectacular dive down to the abyss, amen, and perish. And the point of the, of the little illustration is that we, in our own righteousness, can never jump to God. It's impossible. So God, looking at us on the other side, of the Grand Canyon said, I'm going to make a way for you to come over here. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, God incarnate. He's going to come, and basically he's going to build a bridge from here to there. He's going to make a way for you to cross over to salvation. And the way that we do that then is by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we walk over in the bridge, right, and all that. And it's kind of a cool little analogy, right? We, we, we like to share this. But here's where I want to go with this. For nine weeks now, we've been looking at these Old Testament minor prophets. And for nine weeks, we've been seeing God's going to judge, and they kind of come across as harsh in that regard. But here's what's going on. Here's, get this picture. People are getting to the chasm between them and God. They're not even jumping the right direction. That's what I'm learning from the prophets. In fact, they get to the chasm. They're not even trying to go to God. They're jumping the other way. And over and over again, God is crying out to them, come to me, come to me. My mercies are new every morning. I'm making a way for you to come to me. But the people won't even, even, even look at it. They're, they're going this and they're jumping the wrong direction. And so therefore, God ultimately has to send judgment upon them because of their waywardness. And if you do a real casual reading of the Old Testament minor prophets, you're going to maybe draw some wrong conclusions. Why is God harsh? And why is God judging the people so harshly. He's not. He's given them multiple times to come to him and to receive his mercy, but they're at the edge of the chasm and they're jumping literally the wrong way on purpose. They don't want anything to do with God. And so if you're going to read these books with any insight at all and understanding, you've got to understand that God was dealing with a people that were very stubborn in their rebellion and refusal to follow uh, God. Um, and once again, when we get to this book of Zephaniah this morning, we're to the book of Zephaniah this morning, we're going to see that it begins by stating a judgment to come on Judah again. 
This is a dark, dismal declaration of judgment when you read it. In fact, the book begins this way. Listen to this very first line. Well, it's second verse of Zephaniah chapter 1. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? And so, so I want to give you some fun facts about Zephaniah, but then I want to get to uh, a place in Zephaniah that's very, very revealing about who God is, especially to the remnant of the people at that time and to us today as remnants of the followers of God and to the end time remnants that are going to be there when the age uh, of this world comes to an end. Let me, let me just give you some fun facts, first of all. Uh, chapter 1 deals once again with the judgment of Judah. Um, uh, she, Judah is a very divided kingdom. There, most of the people fall in this category at, at this time of those who are to the chasm, you know, the, to the Grand Canyon and are jumping the wrong way. Most of them fall into that category. But a small amount fall into this category we could call the remnant the loyal followers of God, the one who still uh, were, were really concerned about God and seeking after God. And, and God exhorts them in chapter 2 uh, of Zephaniah, verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the, Lord, of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps he, uh, you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So God is encouraging them through the prophet Zephaniah to seek himself. Uh, but the reality of that culture was most people were... Uh, we're jumping uh, the wrong way. Zephaniah talks a lot about the day of the Lord. Now, when you hear the day of the Lord, that terminology, it simply means the day when God decides to intervene in the affairs of the human race. So for Judah, the day of the Lord was coming when God would judge them for their waywardness. There was an immediacy to that day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord also is a reference constantly to the end of the age of the world globally when everything comes to the end and Jesus Christ returns. So when you hear that terminology, day of the Lord, in these Old Testament minor prophet books, oftentimes it's referring to the immediacy of a judgment to come, God intervening into that culture at that time, and also it has a dual uh, kind of meaning of God intervening in the affairs of mankind at the end uh, of, of the age. Zephaniah, I would just say, is a dark description of judgment. I read it the first time, and I went, oofda. What am I going to say today? Now, Ufta, you know, that's Norwegian for I have no idea what I'm going to do here. Anyway, you know, it's just like, this is, this is a hard book. Um, when I walked outside today, by the way, and I first felt that blast of cold air where I parked over by the pine trees, I got on my truck, or, or pilot, I should say, I went, Ufta, this is cold. By the time I got into church, I was weeping, and it wasn't tears of joy. It was tears that were freezing on my cheek as they were running down. In, interestingly enough, there's not only the judgment of Judah declared in, in this little book of Zephaniah, uh, I, there's also the judgment on nations like Moab and Ammon. And uh, interestingly enough, God says to Moab and Ammon, you will be no more. Now, these were nations that were from the lineage of Lot, and I think part of the reason that God's judgment was harsh on these nations was, as he says in Zephaniah, was that they were really related to Judah, yet they mistreated Judah like crazy, and they should have known better. And so God says, therefore, since you've known better and you refuse to do what's right, you're going to be uh, no more. Interestingly enough, there's another prophecy against Nineveh. 
And, 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 and Zephaniah talks about Nineveh coming to an end. And you know, 20 years after this prophecy, that happened. Nineveh was no more. And so Zephaniah's in on that game uh, also. But what I really like is how Zephaniah speaks to the remnant. A word of hope from God. And I think you and I need to listen to this because we're a remnant in our culture right now. Two years ago, I talked about this idea that we who are Christ followers, our true Christ followers, are really a remnant in our culture. On this morning, on this day, there's about four or 5,000 people in Brookings going to church. Our population's about 35,000 if you throw the college in there. So we're kind of a conservative community and probably have a larger attendance of church than most places. And so when you start looking at it from sheer numbers on a day like this, 30,000 people in Brookings are not going to church. Amen? We can't say we're a majority in that kind of a culture. Now you go to the Twin Cities or Chicago or New York or Los Angeles or wherever, it's way worse, way less numbers. So we now have been moved to what could be called the remnant status. We're marginalized in our culture. One of the things that, that was being brought against the nation of Judah at the time there by Zephaniah was that they had a whole bunch of people who were jumping the wrong way, but more than that, when they got to, the, to God, they were jumping literally the wrong way. They were just acting like God didn't even exist, that I can do whatever I want, and he'll never see, he'll never notice. Is that not our nation right now? Most of our nation would say there is no God, he doesn't exist, I can do whatever I want. If you look at the makeup of culture that we live in right now, there's the disenfranchised, the ones who've had some kind of experience with church but don't go to church for some reason, whatever would be the reason. There's a lot of people in that category. There's some who are post-Christian. They have a little bit of a heritage of Christianity, maybe within their family or whatever, but they never really given it a try themselves. And then there are the nuns. A large amount of our culture right now is the nuns. They just don't have any affiliation with anything to do with any uh, uh, Christianity at all. And that's the culture we find ourselves in, and we're a remnant. And that's okay. Like I talked about two years ago, it's okay to be in remnant status. You know why? Because that's where God moves. He moves in the margins of culture. He moves in people who have to depend on him. He moves in the ones who are lowly and humble and have nowhere else to go. Amen? We can't be relying upon our government to, to come to the rescue. They're not going to. Now, I know some of you, oh boy, I just spoke that word and you're going, I don't agree with you at all. We're not, that's not our hope. Our hope is not a government. Our hope is not a man or a person or a woman or whoever. That, that, that's not our hope. Our hope is Jesus Christ. Amen? And when we're in remnant status, we have to turn wholeheartedly and just trust that God will do a work that otherwise won't get accomplished. And so Zephaniah is speaking to this remnant, a word of hope. And to us as remnants in our culture, it's a word of hope too. So I want to begin today by asking you a question to kind of get you thinking with me about who God is. Because sometimes we have a misunderstanding of who God is, and that is, is, is problematic. But, but listen to this question. I want you to think on this question. Do you believe God has created you for intimacy, love, and friendship with him? Do you think God has created you for intimacy, love, and friendship with him?
Zephaniah does something really, really incredibly important in this book. He shows us who God really is and his heart for his remnant people, what it looks like. And you see, it's really easy to surface read a book like Zephaniah. I, I've read this book, I've read this book so many times, you know, trying to get ready for, for today. And I mean, I got, I start, I don't know, do you do this with your Bible? I got my Bible with me. I, I highlight stuff and pretty soon the whole page is pink, you know what I mean? And um, basically I've highlighted everything. And I'm highlighting the footnotes, you know, I'm trying to figure this thing out, right? Um, and, you know, when you surface read something like Zephaniah, you can come to a wrong conclusion. You can come to a misconception about who God is. And I think we deal with a culture that, by and large, has, of course, misconceptions of who God is. So if you're talking to the average man on the street or the average woman on the street and, and you begin to say, who is God? I, I, I think you'll get one of these misconceptions. Some will look at him like a, a, like a cosmic policeman. Nothing against the police. If you're a police officer, I love you, Okay. But they'll look at God as he's the enforcer of laws and he writes me a ticket if I get out of line, you know? And that's their conception of God. A lot of people who are far from God don't know. That, that's how they view God. Or, or maybe even worse, some view God as an angry judge. That he's just harsh and he's just looking to render judgment on you when you mess up. Now, here's one that really concerns me because I see so much of this happening in Zephaniah's time and it's happening in our time too. You know what's going on? People are just saying, God doesn't see me. God doesn't care. God's uninvolved in my life. I can do whatever I want. God won't do anything about it. That was one of the prevailing attitudes that was going on in little tribe of Judah during Zephaniah's time. And I think if we're honest and we look in our culture right now, isn't that what we see? A whole bunch of people saying, God doesn't see, God doesn't care, and God won't do anything to me. No matter what I do, it doesn't matter. And that's entirely a misconception of who God is. And then there's always the ones who say, God's my buddy. He's my friend. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having God as your friend. But sometimes what we do is we, say, we make him our equal. Amen? He's not our equal. And so uh, there's this uh, a misunderstanding that, well, God is there for me to get some advice from and some input sometimes. I'll listen maybe, maybe I won't, and I'll do whatever I want. We, we, oh man, we, we may not verbalize that at all, but that's happening a lot in our culture and in the church. So let me ask you another question. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Maybe we're drilling out more into what really is behind that other question. Do you sense intimacy, love, and friendship with God? Well, what comes to your mind when you think about God? And A.W. Tozer, I love this quote. He said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because it shapes who we are and how we're going to interact then with God. So let me give you this reflection thought. What you think about God often shapes your side of the relationship with him, how you will begin to approach him and think uh, of interacting with him, Okay. What you think and who you think God is will often shape the relationship. And I just love what J.I. Packer says. I know I'm into a bunch of quotes here. I'll get through this in a moment, but just these are good quotes. Our aim, like, in, our aim today in studying Zephaniah, or our aim in studying the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, must be to know God himself better. So when we do a study like Zephaniah, our goal is to know God better, amen? And to know who he really is as he's been revealed to us. And our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance. I love that. 
I want to enlarge my acquaintance with who God is and how he's been revealed to me so I have a relationship with him that's truly uh, one uh, built on biblical revelation so that I can be intimate with God, in love with God, and having a friendship with God that, that's, that's adhering to uh, the, the Bible. And he goes on to say, not simply the doctrine of God's attributes, but the living God whose attributes they are. And... Um, there's another quote by C.S. Lewis, and I don't know if that's probably going to go up there. You can just read that one for yourself. It just expands on these thoughts some more. In Zephaniah chapter 3, God reveals to the prophet then to say this to the remnant, to give a glimpse of hope of who he is and who he was to the remnant at that time, and also to give us a glimpse of hope of who he is. Um, and so we're going to look at a key verse in Zephaniah here for a few moments that's really revealing about who God is. Now remember, this is directed to the remnant of that time, okay? To bring them hope. And likewise, it's directed to you and I as remnants in our time to what? Bring us hope. All right? So here we go. It's Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. I would like us to read it all out together. Read it with me, would you please? The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Is that how you see God? We're going to break this down because that's how Zephaniah was saying, or telling the remnant of his time, this is how you need to see God. This is who God is. This is a snapshot of who he is. So let's begin this way. This is our big thought today of the message. It's a glimpse into God. First of all, what Zephaniah does is he assures the remnant of that time because they were going to go through some dark moments. They were going to see Jerusalem taken, and they were going to see Judah taken, and Zephaniah saying to him, the Lord is present with his remnant. He's saying, the Lord is present with you. You've got to know that. The Lord is with you. He is present with you. Amen? Because your world's going to collapse around you. It's going to look dark out there. But understand, if you're a follower of God, and if you're loving after God, and if you're seeking God, he's saying, God is with you. You've got to remember, God is with you. Amen? So he's telling the remnant of that time, and he's telling us as a remnant in our time, God is with you. God is present with his remnant. And then he goes on, I think, to really explain what it means that God is present with his remnant. First of all, he says, he is mighty to save. God's a mighty to save. He's not just adequate to save. He doesn't just barely save. The word is mighty. He's a hero. He's able. He's capable to save. You don't need to fear. And I love this phrase personally when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the captain of our salvation. I say that all the time when I pray. Captain of my salvation. Because it just carries so much weight that God is for us. Amen? And that God is present with us and that he's mighty and capable. When you think of God, do you think of God being mighty and capable? Does that come to the forefront of your thinking about God? Because that's who he is. And that's how he's revealed to the remnant in Zephaniah's time. And I love what Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 16. Listen to this. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony uh, for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, what? Come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. 
and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am mighty to save. Come. If you're thirsty, come. Tell other people, come, right? Because I'm present, I'm with the remnant, and I'm mighty to save. Do you see God this way? Super important to see him that way. And then he gets to the second line. I love this line. He takes great delight in you. He says to the remnant in Zephaniah's time, he says to the remnant in our time, I take great delight in you. To those of us this morning that love God, who've received Jesus as our Savior, God says, I delight in you. We hardly dare say that, do we? It almost seems wrong. God delights in me. Think of it this way. I have uh, 13 grandkids. I delight in them. The other day, Abby called me from, well, I called Vicki, uh, from uh, North Dakota, Tioga, North Dakota. I think it was a balmy 26 below out that day or something. I don't know up there. It's always colder up there. So we always have that brightness to look forward to. We're not as cold as Northwest North Dakota. Amen? There are colder places. Anyway, she has two little boys, two, two grandsons, Rowan's three and Ezra's one. And their motion, their motion, that's all, when you, they never stand still. And they don't wear clothes in the wintertime even. So Rowan's in his shorts, and Ezra's in his diaper and maybe a shirt. And they're running everywhere, and I think they're the cutest thing ever. I laugh at everything they do. I delight in them. Why? Because they're mine. Amen? Simply because they're mine. They've done nothing to earn it. They are the cutest grandkids ever. Amen? Some of you are going to disagree with me because you have your own grandkids. Now, that's your opinion, but mine are way cuter than yours. <laughs> At any rate, so they're running around, and I'm just delighting in them, and I'm thinking, because I'm working on this sermon, I'm thinking this week, God sees me running around, you know. <laughs> and I may not be appropriately addressed or whatever either, you know. But I love Jesus. He delights in me simply because I'm his child. Amen? Do you know that God delights in you that way? Does that just rock your soul? Because it's supposed to. And Zephaniah trying to bring great assurance to the people of his time who found themselves in the margin of their culture, watching their culture disintegrate and go down the tubes, we're told God delights in you because you're his. And then he goes on to say something that I've been experiencing personally a lot lately that I think is a word to us. He quiets you with his love. That should be said with a whisper. God quiets you with his love. He says to the remnant, your world's going to be chaotic. You're going to go through unbelievably hard things here. But listen, I quiet you with my love. I quiet you with my love. Listen, remnant of God, listen to me on this. We live in a chaotic, hateful world. And we need to let the Lord Jesus quiet us with his love. Amen? At times, we just need to quit being angry and cynical and verbal and just be quiet and let God quiet our hearts with his love. When we do that, we're going to be so noticeably different from the rest of culture. People are going to say, what's wrong with you? (laughs) We'll tell them, the Lord Jesus is quieting my heart with his love. Amen? Because people out there don't know God this way. They think of God as what? A judge? A law enforcer? Someone who doesn't even exist or care, right? But when they see you, quieted by his love, 
they may ask you what's going on. Be ready to give an answer for the hope you have in Jesus Christ. And lastly, we're told in Zephaniah, God rejoices over you with singing. I love the picture here that this paints. Basically, that word rejoice means spins. So it's saying that God spins over you and sings. I can't even, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that thing. It just, huh? And I remember years ago when we had Joanne Lyons to New Hope when I was pastoring up at New Hope in, North, in Williston there, North Dakota. And she at the time was the um, World Hope Director. Later on, she became the general superintendent of our church, and she's retired from that at this point. But, so we invited her into our church's uh, uh, World Hope Director, and she was over kind of missions and all that kind of thing. And she was talking about all these people groups that she'd gone to see. And, and she's a very animated, demonstrative speaker. And uh, we were singing a song after that. And she jumped up on the platform and started dancing to the song, like the people that she had just been with were dancing. So she's up there just, I can't dance. She's up there dancing, dancing and dancing and dancing. And she looks at me, Pastor, come join me. And I said, no, no. And I'm shaking my head, no. And she says, come on, Pastor. Finally, I stood up and said, nobody wants to see me dance. It'll wreck the moment. It'll create great sadness, you know. But she was just so full of joy. And I remember seeing that freedom that she had. And I remember even at that moment thinking, when God looks at me as his beloved child in Jesus Christ, he sings and dances over me like that. I remember thinking that. That's our God, amen? It's not because we're great. It's not because we're deserving of it. It's because of who God is, amen? And because he loves us unconditionally. So when you think about God of the remnant, he's mighty to save, he takes great delight in you, he quiets you with his love, and he rejoices over you with singing. Now, when you get to the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? He just takes these concepts and he takes it from a snapshot view kind of thing in Zephaniah to a panoramic view. Do you ever go and look at something and take a panoramic picture? Vicki does this all the time. I could, sorry, Vicki, I'm looking at you. I won't do that. So she'll take her camera out when we're at the mountain. She'll go, and then, then if I'm in the edge of the picture, she says, you've got to stand really still, otherwise you're going to be moving. You know? And she does this big, Honk and full view, and they really, they turn out nice, the picture. If I were sitting here this morning, I might take a snapshot of Sean Broderick, and he's awesome, right, Sean? Yes, he is. And that would give us a little bit of a picture of what's going on today. And I might show someone this, Sean was in church, look at this, but if I go, and show people, oh, whoa, that's a whole different view, isn't it? That's what Jesus has done for us. He's given us the panoramic view of God. And three words to me kind of uh, resonate with my heart when it comes to this panoramic view that Jesus gives us. And they kind of go along with the message today. First of all, is his presence is here with us. Jesus said in Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he said, I'm going to give you the person, the Holy Spirit, to live right inside you. So Zephaniah talks with this idea that God is with us. We who are, are, are know Jesus know Jesus is with us literally because the person, the Holy Spirit, lives inside us. Amen? So when we read Zephaniah, we should go, yes, God, you're with me. Amen? You're with me in the person of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, when you think of uh, this panoramic view that Christ has given us, there's power. 
that's been unleashed in our lives. Um, you know, uh, Zephaniah was trying to assure the people of his time, the remnant, that you know God's power was going to preserve you. And we know that in Christ Jesus, we are the recipients of the great power of God. And John, 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And I think frequently I say this. Um, Jesus, you're greater. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Your power is sufficient. Amen? And I, I think if we, get, we really start getting Zephaniah and then getting the panoramic view we have in Jesus Christ, we are people who walk in the power of God. Amen? And that power is greater than anything that the enemy can throw at us. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. And the last word I would use when it comes to the panoramic view that Christ gives us is protection. And Zephaniah was kind of getting after that too with the remnant. He's saying God's going to protect you and keep you. And Jesus has assured us that his sheep hear his voice and that he will keep us. Uh, those that have been given to him, he will keep us. He will protect us. Um, John chapter 10, verse 29 tells us that um, this, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And Jesus basically is saying, I will keep you. I will protect you. So what comes to your mind this morning when we think about God? Because we're going to enter into communion right now. Do the words, presence, power, and protection come to your mind? Do you resonate with Zephaniah? And, and you, 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 you think, yeah, my God's mighty to save. He delights in me. His love quiets my heart. He rejoices over me with spinning. Do those things come to your mind? Because that's what needs to come to my, our minds, beloved, right? And Jesus, amen, right? And guess what? As a remnant of God, we are the only ones that are going to show this culture who God really looks like. Otherwise, our culture is going to be standing there on the edge of the chasm with their back to God, literally jumping the wrong way. And what they need to see is a whole bunch of people looking a lot like Jesus who are declaring, my God's mighty to save. My God delights. He quiets with love. He rejoices over me singing because I'm his beloved child. They need to see some of that and you need to experience that, amen? And then we're going to be people in the remnant who experience the power of God. Anyway, I'm going to stop there because we need to do communion. So I could go on, but you know what? When you're done, you need to stop. I'm going to stop. So I pray that these things have helped your concept of God this morning. And I pray you're beginning to see from these minor prophets. They're powerful books, aren't they? There's messages in there that are timeless for us. It reminds me uh, 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 of the statement that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword that divides marrow from the bone. Amen. That's God's word. It's, it's just powerful.